You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkopf. Well, hey there, welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast today. And today, I guess we always say you're in for a special treat. But you're in for a special, special treat today. You won't believe what's coming next on the Monday <laughs> Christian Podcast. We just fired our voiceover artist now. <laughs> David, you're in full time. <laughs> oh, man. Guest is Bikaili Shanko, and the topic of his book is Never Alone, From Ethiopian Villager to Global Leader. And Dave, we were talking earlier this week. It's nice to bring on people from a variety of different perspectives. We've, we've brought on several different people lately from more of a theological perspective. And it's, I love getting a diverse, uh, well, perspective. <laughs> people that come at it from more of a heavy theological lens, but then others that come at it from an extremely even uh, evangelistic lens. And Bekele certainly does that. Yeah, he, when he speaks, there's a weight to his words, and he's not trying to manipulate an audience. It's just, he's a man of great faith. He has an amazing story about what God has done through him and his family. Um, and he has a lot of wisdom in, in, you know, last week we were talking about getting, sitting at someone else's table. And I, I felt like, man, this is a chance to sit at, at the table of an amazing man or maybe an ordinary man that God has done amazing things through. And uh, his, his writing is excellent. His story is incredible. And especially his stuff, we should talk about this a little bit, but his, his philosophy of partnerships mm -hmm. and the things that he's lived out in a, in a church culture that maybe is so segmented. And um, we, we spend so much time fighting and dialoguing about the differences. It almost seems like that becomes the mission, like it differing our, like pointing out uh, idiosyncrasies between other Christian groups. But he, he has this philosophy of partnership that um, has just, the proof is what God has done through him. Yeah, such a humility to it as well. His partnership, as he shares in this interview, some people, they kind of approach it from a perspective of, what can I get? Yeah. But he says, you know, what can I give? And it's funny, there's different interviews that, you, you know, everyone's different. Um, sometimes it's more of conversational. But this one, it just kind of felt like, well, from the very beginning, as you're about to hear, you know, we asked one question, Eight minutes later, you're just sitting there like, wow. Yeah, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just like, you need to shut up and just listen today and cry a little bit, man. I mean, just the the the, the stories and the, like you said, the humility. Um, and it's it's not like a it's not like a self help book, like steps to partnerships. You need to not worry about what you can get, but what you can give. It, he he really means what he's saying, and he's he's lived out these principles uh, that he mentions in his book and. Man, just just a powerful. This God has used him powerfully, and this this conversation. Um, I say conversation. Him him speaking to us today is just powerful. It's outside the box from typical Western Christianity, and so if you're listening to this and you're expecting something inside the box, you might be shooken up a little bit. But um, Kelly's book, here's was interesting. You know, um, from some of the early stories you'll hear. Some of you will be like, wait, wait, what? What did he just say? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Rick Warren, author of The Purpose Driven Life, 
known by a few guys <laughs> um, and wrote the foreword for this book. And, and you know, he, he just talks about all that they're partnering together and how they are reaching just, you know, thousands, millions of people around the globe, but specifically in Ethiopia. And it's just a powerful story. And so I just challenge you as you're listening to this, um, be receptive to how God would want to use Bekele's story to speak to your life. And so let's go ahead and get into this with our conversation with Bekele Shanko. Well, I'm excited. Our guest on the podcast today is Bekele Shanko, and uh, Bekele was born and raised in Ethiopia. He's held a diverse leadership positions in government as well as nonprofit organizations, and his significant professional contributions include the creation of the Emerging Leaders Initiative of Africa, the launching of the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication, the development of the global church movements of Campus Crusade for Christ International, and the design of Ethiopia's 100-year strategic vision on national transformation. So quite an extensive bio that we could have read in, in greater detail. But Bekele, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. We have mutual friends, uh, Lowell and Karen Martin, and for years, Lowell has talked to me about you, and he has said, Bikaili Shanko is, is one of the guys that I looked up to and respect so much, so I'm glad we're actually finally having this conversation. Yeah, it was amazing that uh, several years ago, how we met uh, with them. <clears throat> I was visiting the U.S. at that time. My family and I were living in Pretoria, South Africa, and I was coming to the U.S., and we met at the airport because I was carrying... Uh, uh, a gift bag um, out of Africa. It's it's written out of Africa on the gift bag, and it's um, I was carrying the bag, and then they reached out to me, and they had connection in Africa at that time, and they struck up conversation. Uh, so we got to know each other, and since then we have been friends and family. You emphasize over and over again the the importance of partnerships, and I can see why you connected with people like Lou and Karen, because they're all about partnerships. And yeah, that, that just makes so much sense. For, for listeners, watchers, viewers that um, aren't familiar with your story, let's go back in history here. You grew up in Ethiopia. And what were those formative years of your life? What did they look like? Yes, I was born and raised in Ethiopia. It's a, <clears throat> a very poor uh, rural village in the uh, southern central part of Ethiopia. And when I was born, uh, like we didn't have running water, no electricity, no school, no church, no Christian, a very poor uh, place. And we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't know any Christian. We didn't know, we didn't have any church. So it was a very, very challenging um, background, a very challenging context uh, that uh, I was born and grew up. At that time, because we didn't have any church, any Christian people were worshiping anything they could find. Like we were practicing uh, animism and people were, some families were worshiping big trees and some uh, rocks, some the moon, some the sun and uh, different things. But uh, uh, witchcraft, witch doctors, uh, spiritual uh, powers were uh, working so um, so much in, in the region. So my father was... Uh, serving a powerful witch doctor. Uh, the witch doctor was related to us. He has blood relationship. And uh, my father uh, serving the witch doctor means that uh, he had, my father, the witch doctor had 
like spiritual powers, demonic powers, and they were able to bring rain and stop rain. When, when they were angry with people, when they cursed people, people would die. When they cursed the harvest of people, harvest dries up. So that was, that was the situation. And my father had three wives, um, and he was given so many instructions to keep uh, by the witch doctor, uh, which my, my father was unable to keep. There were very complicated instructions, like he had to uh, wake up every morning at five o'clock and drink alcohol nonstop and smoke nonstop and beat his wives up. And uh, we were not allowed to eat food when the food was prepared at home because my father had to take the first portion of the food and, and they give it to his gods. Like there was a big coffee tree outside uh, outside our house, behind our house, and my father would take that food and place it under the coffee tree. He would come home and then wait for the food to disappear. Uh, he would go out and check. Uh, if the food had disappeared, that means that uh, we had permission to eat the food. Otherwise, we would wait and wait. And if the food had, had not uh, gone away, then my father uh, would sacrifice like a goat or a lamb or a chicken. It was very, very complicated. And uh, during uh, that time, whenever my father missed obeying any of those instructions, like a tragedy hit our family, that a child in our home with no sickness would immediately die. Uh, so we were living in that, in that spiritual darkness and it's, it's like a cursed family. So because of that, uh, from my father, from his three wives, four children from each wife, a total of 12 children perished in our home. When, when I was born, my parents didn't give me a name because in Ethiopian context, every name has a meaning. Uh, so my parents said, why should we uh, give a name to, to the child who is going to die, uh, like all his siblings? So until I was four, I was, I was nameless. I didn't have a name. But when I reached age four, they, called, uh, they gave me a name, Bekele. Bekele means when you sow a seed, the seed germinates after a few days. So Bekele means he is germinating, he is sprouting. So that was uh, at age four. Then at age five, the witch doctors realized that I was growing up. Uh, that was unusual in, in our family. And the witch doctor asked my father that he should train me. When I grow up, I, should, I, I will be uh, doing what my father was, uh, was doing to serve the witch doctor. So my father started training me at age five. So it was, it was hopeless life, uh, hopeless, hopeless life um, with under spiritual uh, darkness and curse. But during that time, something happened, something miraculous happened in our home. And one night when I was five years of age, God decided to send two angels who visited my father and they explained to my father who God was, that he was the creator who created the heavens and the earth and everything that uh, my father could see around. And later on, um, those, those angels decided to take my father to heaven. And uh, we don't know how my father was transported to heaven, but he walked in the streets of heaven and he was taken to the gate of hell. And after his visit, one of the angels asked my father, I have shown you two places. Where do you want to be? And my father says, please, please send me to heaven. That's where I want to be. It's a brilliant, it's a beautiful place. Then the angel 
stretched his hand, smiled at my father, shook his hand and said, good choice. You have made a good choice. I will send you two men. They will come and they tell you how you can get into heaven. So two days later, uh, two men, God appeared to them. They were uh, brand new believers, illiterate people from another village. God appeared to them and, uh, and, and told them, go and tell this man that the only way you can get into heaven is if you believe in Jesus Christ who is uh, the son of God who came to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. And if you believe in him, he will change your life. So two nights, two days later, these two men came and they preached good news to my family, my father, my mother, my older sister and myself, four of us, we became believers and God started um, amazing, amazing transformation in our lives. But two days after we became believers, another miracle happened in my father's life. Uh, my father had never been to school because we didn't have any school. My father went out to keep cows. We had farm and we had cows. As my father was walking with the cows alongside a river, he finds a holy Bible sitting on the ground and we don't know from where that Bible had come from. My father picked up the book. He started opening through the pages and he didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden he hears a loud voice saying, this is my word. And something in his heart said, go and sit down under the shade of a tree. So my father went, sat down under the shade of a tree. He opened the book and he said, God, was that your voice? Is this your book? I cannot read it. Can you help me to read this book? And he said, if you enable me to read this book, I will teach this book my whole life. And right there, my father started reading the Bible. He opened, God opened his eyes. So that afternoon he comes home and he says, I want the whole village to come to my place. I have something to tell them. Um, about 400 men and women showed up in our, in, our, in, our, in our yard. And my father stood up and he told them what had happened to him in the last few days. And he opened the book and he read the book and he invited people to deny demonic powers and to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to die for their sins. So that night, the whole village came to Jesus and, uh, and God started working amazing, amazing miracles. So my father was an evangelist for about 37 years. He passed away uh, about 11 years ago. For the entire 37 years, my father served as evangelist, powerful evangelist. The only book my dad could read was the Bible. I gave my, my, my dad the Holy Bible, the Holy Book, and any other book with the same Amharic scripts in Ethiopia, my father could fluently read the Bible and he could not show a single word in any other book. And I asked dad, what's wrong with you? Because the letters are the same and you can read this one. And why can't you read the other one? He says, when I open the holy book, it's like somebody is holding a powerful torch over my head. It's, it, it, it shines, it illuminates and I could see everything. So that's my background and uh, today, uh, if you go to my tribe, uh, we have about 1.5 million people at one of the minority tribes in, in, in central Ethiopia. It's called Kambata tribe. And uh, my, my friend did a research uh, recently, and according to his research, 97% of my tribe are born again believers. So that is my background, uh, Israel. Oh, just an incredible story. And no doubt there's listeners, watchers that are saying, this is just unbelievable, right? And I'm sure you've gotten that a time or two, especially speaking in the West. And 
Dave and I were talking about this beforehand. So many people in the West, let's take America, they would say they struggle to know if the supernatural reality is actually real. Was there ever a point in your life when you even doubted that there was a supernatural reality? Ne never, <clears throat> never, because uh, I grew up experiencing the power of God in, in my life. Uh, every day, uh, as I grew up every day, um, it was a reality that I could not deny because my father, without going to school, he could fluently read and preach the word of God. And many, many people came to the Lord as a result of his ministry. So I could test who God was just by giving my father the Bible and any other book. It's, it's, it's evident. And I grew up I grew up in that family, and at age 12, I was, I was preaching. And another thing that happened to me after we became believers was <clears throat> uh, my father always uh, carried that Bible that he found on the ground. As my father was walking through the villages, like five miles, four miles to the left or right, demon-possessed people would scream, saying, Holy Fire is passing by. Uh, that means people would realize that uh, that my father must be around the area. They would come out looking for him. I always followed my dad as I grew up uh, with him and following him. So my father went to this that family uh, with a demon-possessed person, and he, he placed the Bible on the head of the sick person, and he immediately cast out the demons, and the whole family would come to the Lord. I have seen amazing transformation. The spiritual warfare and the spiritual uh, powers, it's, it's a reality that, that I cannot deny. And that background has given me uh, faith in God, knowing that the God whom I worship, whom I serve, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a powerful God. Uh, nothing is impossible to him. And that background has given me uh, faith to believe in God for something that I cannot do, something that is impossible, because the Bible says what is not possible with man is possible with God. So spiritual reality is a reality for me. Um, it's, it's, it has been part of my life. I have seen it. I have experienced it. Even now, we, we experience that. Mm. Dave, what are you thinking? Um, I'm honestly kind of a wreck right now listening to these stories, man. Um, thank you for sharing, uh, Kelly. Um, you're clearly a man of great faith, and God has done it. Just how, how God reaches to people, it just, it just blows my mind. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that statement. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Dave. God's love is is amazing. It's uh, beyond uh, beyond words. I cannot describe God's love and the power of transformation that the gospel can bring in in, in one's life. So to come out of that uh, uh, spiritually dark, hopeless place. And now to be part of uh, a global uh, workforce to proclaim Christ and to help advance God's kingdom is just amazing. It's God's love. It's his grace. What, what would you say? Because some of these, 
you, you're talking about like I saw I knew who my dad was before I knew what he was like afterward I've seen these miracles I'm just thinking about people like as and I with young kids and it's just like I really want you know God's not obligated to work in the same way in the same places but man I really want to, them to have these kind of defining moments where they see the power of God where it's not like you know anybody can draw a crowd around them with some you know Ted talk like speaking but to see the power of God to see God wake people up from the dead to raise them to walk in newness of life like we say at baptism like what would mm -hmm. you say say to us how do we how do we get our kids in those places where that they're 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 getting this passed down to them and there's this there's this steadfast faith that uh, you seem to have as a result of these experiences you know there are a number of things that come to my mind uh god performs miracles in uh, places where like we are desperate um god wants to display who he is he wants to display his power when when the road is narrow and when it is difficult, when it is challenging for people to follow God, God shows up to say, this is who I am. So that is why we had experienced those amazing miracles of God, because we didn't know who God was. People didn't know who created, who created the world. Um, and they didn't understand God's love, and God showed up. And I had personally experienced, as, as I grew up, not only uh, uh, people being freed from demonic oppression, but even dead people coming back to life. I, I had seen that. I had experienced that. And God continues to do miracles. Some of the ways where, where we can experience God is when we are desperate for God. And God also, uh, you know, he requires like simple faith that, that taking his word by faith, it's a simple faith. You know, sometimes we complicate things. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we create complex uh, systems and organizations and we had th complex theologies and so on. But, but, but what we need is just simple faith. And, uh, uh, and, and also a prayer life uh, when we depend on God. We are believing his word. We are saying because God has said this, he is able to fulfill it. I am taking it by faith. And then we are depending on him and we are desperate for him. We are praying by faith. That is when we start experiencing God. Uh, I, also, when I was growing up, Ethiopia was a, a, a communist, a communist, a Marxist country for 17 years and we were not allowed to carry the bible and to share christ we were not allowed to pray almost every church was shut down during that time so during that time what had happened was we went into underground underground we were praying like every week all the way through the night the whole night like like we were praying for eight to 10 hours and it seemed like we didn't even pray for one hour. The power of God that was working uh, in our midst, we were so desperate for God. And during that time, because of that powerful prayer and simple faith that we believed in God, 
during those 17 years when the church was shut down, we had grown after 17 years when uh, the Marxist uh, regime collapsed in the country in 1991. We had grown from less than 200,000 uh, evangelical believers to over 8 million evangelical believers in those uh, 17 years of severe persecution. So God works when we are not in a comfortable like environment, when the environment is challenging, that is where we experience God. But we shouldn't wait until the, our situation is, uh, is, is when until we are desperate or until the situation is, is difficult. We should um, believe God, we should pray, and we should ask God to do great things in our life. And God works with those who, who are believing in him for something bigger than themselves. Because when we believe God for something big, he shows up. But most of the time, our, our faith is dependent on like our own resources, strategies, skills, and so, and so on. We say, since I have this, since I know this, I can do that. Uh, we will not be able to experience God when we depend on what we have and what we can do. God shows up when we believe God for something that we cannot do ourselves. When did you first capture a vision for Ethiopia and start to develop a picture of what could be? When did God first start to lay that on your heart? Yeah, that's a very good question. The first time God gave me a burning uh, vision for my country was... Uh, my wife and I got married in Ethiopia, and we joined the uh, Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ in Ethiopia. After I worked with the government uh, in Ethiopia for five years, I was God called me. So we were sent to Uganda to attend the new staff training for a year. And as I was, uh, as we were going through uh, that uh, new staff training. I started reading books, and one of the books I read was written by Dr. Bill Bright, the founder and, uh, and former president of Campus Crusade. The book is uh, Come Help Change the World, and he described the, the, the vision of Campus Crusade, how the Lord led him to start, to start Campus Crusade for Christ, what God had been doing in history through this uh, movement. And he was inviting people to join the movement to help change the world. And I just captured the vision. I was really inspired by the vision. And while I was still in Uganda, I wanted to get back to Ethiopia and change that country. So um, I, was, I was even writing the vision um, while still outside the country for, for the country. So we finished the new staff training and we went back to Ethiopia. And Im immediately, uh, two weeks after we returned from new staff training, I was appointed to lead the national ministry. I was 25 years old at that time. The reason I was uh, appointed was uh, our former national director was sick and he passed away. So uh, the board of directors decided that I should lead the ministry uh, at that time. And I didn't have any leadership experience, uh, but I had faith in God. I studied statistics and mathematics, and I didn't study leadership or management. I didn't understand how to lead. But, with, but I told my wife, now God has called us. He has given us this platform uh, to proclaim the gospel to, in, in our country. Let's pray. So we prayed, and God 
whispered to me that I should believe in God for something big, bigger than me, bigger than what I could do. So the Lord gave us a national vision to reach the whole country, every person. And in fact, the vision at that time was uh, uh, that I wrote down and it was, let's reach the whole country. At that time, we had about 50 million people in the country. Let's reach out. Let's let's share the gospel, the good news of our, our Lord Jesus Christ to every person in the next 10 years. And let's recruit about 300 missionary staff. We had less than 10 staff at that time. And let's uh, translate the Jesus film into every major language in the country. Uh, let's uh, uh, buy 100 uh, trucks to carry the, the film equipment to every corner of the country. And I, I even said that we don't have uh, good road networks. Let's buy two helicopters so that we could fly into every village and show the Jesus film and train people and plant churches and finish the Great Commission in the country. So I remember inviting uh, heads of church denominations and mission organizations to come and hear this vision. And I was, uh, I was a tiny skinny guy and I stood up and I said, this is what God is going to do in our country. Let's join our hands together and work for the glory of God and let's reach every person. So the vision was born when I read that book and I was going through the new staff training in Uganda. What do you think... Um... You know, you, you did some good writing here about partnerships, and clearly you're you're working with across denominational lines. What do you think are some of the common barriers? Because I think everyone at least gives lip service to like we want to work together, we're all on the same team. You know, we believe you know in the in the same Lord Jesus Christ. Let's work together. And then there's you know churches you know just adjacent across the street, and they they have no affiliation, no contact. What, especially maybe in our context, what are some of the barriers that you notice to people working together for a vision that's bigger than one localized place? Yeah, that is a very, very good question, Dave. Thank you for that question. Some of the biggest barriers, uh, one is lack of understanding what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom is bigger than any one organization, any one church. But people don't understand that. Uh, they think that uh, one part of the body is the body. That is not true. A body, a body part is a body part. There is one big body. And Jesus taught us about that. So when I believe that God's kingdom is bigger than my organization, that motivates me to partner with others. When I know that, that there is one church, not many churches, there is one body, the body of Christ is one body and Christ is the head. That motivates me to seek to partner with others. Uh, when I know that the two are better than one, when we are better, when we are together, we are powerful. Our impact is greater when we are together. And, and Jesus prayed for us to be one as he and his father are one. So when we don't fully understand the kingdom principles of partnership. We, we, we are not motivated to, to partner. When, when I have this mindset that I can do everything by myself, I have all the strategies, I have all the tools, I have all the leaders around me, I don't need you. When I have that attitude, I don't fully understand uh, how the kingdom works. So I have limited perspective. At the end, 
There is not going to be any organization, any mission organization, any logo in heaven. There is going to be only one bride of Jesus Christ, one lamb of, of, of God, one bride. That should challenge me to overcome any barrier. So most of the time, the barriers are the, the barriers that we have created ourselves, that lack of understanding what God's kingdom is, and then also lack of humility, lack of willingness to learn from others. And sometimes people also think that through partnership, I want to gain something. I want to get something. But partnership is primarily about giving. It's about generosity. It's about wow. helping others for the sake of the bigger purpose. It's not for me to develop my organization. It's for me to help build the greater kingdom of God. That is what partnership is. So we create barriers by a lack of fully understanding what the kingdom of God is. And also by thinking that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the kingdom by myself or my church is the kingdom by myself. No, it's not. The kingdom is bigger than our own uh, organizations. Even when God created us in his own image, you know, he taught us the partnership principle. He said, let us, let us make man in our image. God did not say, let me make. He could have said that. He could have said, let me make in my own image, but he didn't. Why? He was teaching us that God's kingdom is, is, is done together, advanced together. Let us create. So that unity of the Trinity, God working together, to create us in his own image. When Nehemiah mobilized people and resources to build the broken walls, he said, let us build the broken walls. So God's kingdom knowledge is let us. It's not let me. When I'm saying let me, that's, a, that's one of the biggest barriers in partnership. It's not let me. It's not let my organization. It's let us. And partnership in, in Christian, Christian partnership is not also win-win. Uh, it's not for me to win or for you to win. It is for us to lose so that Jesus gains and his kingdom gain. So wow. it's lose gain because Jesus, he lost his life on the cross to gain us. That is the biblical partnership. So those are the barriers and uh, and we are the ones to overcome those barriers because we have clear biblical principles. As you've partnered together and that partner, partnerships flourished in Ethiopia, um, what did that look like? What was the outcome and the ways that people came to faith in Christ as a result? Wow. <laughs> I know that's yeah. a large question. Yes, that is a big question. From the very beginning, uh, after I became a national director in Ethiopia for our ministry, I invited the church leaders, heads of denominations, senior pastors, mission organization leaders, saying that uh, we have responsibility to reach our country with the gospel. No one church can do that alone. No organization can do that alone. It takes all of us because we are one body and every part makes a contribution. Like in my body, every body part has unique contribution, unique responsibility to fulfill. So I invited the church from the very beginning, and then I built relationship by, by the grace of God with every key church leader, uh, every key pastor, personal relationship. 
And I had outlined that in my book, uh, Never Alone. So uh, for example, one, one highlight, no, even before, before that highlight, I believed in giving and receiving, generosity and humility, learning from others and contributing and making the other member of the body stronger and bigger. It's not only about me, my role is to make, help make the other person, the other uh, part bigger and stronger. When I do that, God is also blessing me. So whenever our ministry received like resources, we were generously sharing with the rest of the body of Christ. Whoever needed uh, like a vehicle or money, I, I told the pastors, whenever you have a need, please come. We will share whatever we have because our focus was on how can we further God's kingdom in our country. Never, I never asked how can I develop my organization, but God was blessing the organization that I was leading because of that humility and generosity and, and willingness to share resources, to bless others. So one of the highlights was uh, the Lord gave, uh, put in my heart a vision to reach the whole city, the whole capital city of Ethiopia, the city of Addis Ababa. Uh, we had about 3 million people and, uh, and the vision was to mobilize the whole body of Christ, every church, every Christian, uh, to share Christ and make disciples in the city. So we had, it, it, was, it was a campaign of, uh, for 52 days. Uh, in 52 days, you know, Nehemiah completed the rebuilding of the walls. So, so I invited the church saying, let's, let's complete the rebuilding of the wall of our city in 52 days, because if God used Nehemiah to do that in his time, he is the same God to do that in our time. So we mobilized the whole body of Christ. We created about 25 different evangelistic discipleship strategies. Some are very contextually relevant um, strategies we designed. It was amazing. In 52 days, it was amazing what we had experienced. We were able to reach the whole city and we had 49,000 uh, decisions uh, for, for Jesus. So during that time, that some of the things I have I had learned one, a power in unity, and then humility that it takes for partnerships. How uh, mobilizing every gift and every contribution makes the body strong and powerful. I have traveled all over the world, and I asked whenever I had opportunities to speak in Ethiopian churches all over the world. I asked people. Uh, how many of you were part of, we call it Operation Philip, the, the, the city saturation campaign in Addis. Uh, going back to the book of Acts chapter eight, evangelist Philip uh, going to preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we call it Operation Philip, restoring the old mission of evangelist, of evangelist Philip in our city to share Christ with everyone. So I could see so many people all over the world, Ethiopians who were part of Operation Philip in Ethiopia, and many had come to the Lord and many had received vision or calling for full-time ministry during that time. So I have personally experienced the power of collaboration. And another thing I had seen outside Ethiopia when I was leading our ministries, 
uh, for 23 countries in Africa, the Southern and Eastern Africa, was another vision that the Lord put in my heart. It was called Operation Sunrise Africa. Uh, at, that vision was now to, uh, to reach 50 major cities from Cape Town, South Africa, to Asmara in Ethiopia, Antananarivo, Madagascar. In 23 countries, 50 cities, 50 million people living in those cities in 50 days. So it was called 50, 50, 50. And uh, for that, it was a very complex project that uh, the Lord helped me to design. We had 2,000 task forces leading that uh, campaign and half million Christians were trained. 10,000 leaders were involved in leading various task forces. And we had 103 different evangelistic strategies that we had um, embraced uh, or we had developed. At the end of the 50 days, we had uh, reached over 64 million people with the gospel. Uh, other cities that heard about the vision that were not part of the original 50 cities joined the campaign. So 64.5 million people heard the gospel and we had 1,720,000 people uh, making decision to, to follow Jesus. The amazing thing was that 21,000 church congregations and 300 global ministries were mobilized for that campaign. And we had raised $8 million uh, uh, for that campaign. It was incredible. So we were able to do all this because we were working together. There is a joy. There is fulfillment when we serve together. We are learning from each other and we are shaping one another's vision and faith. We are inspiring each other's vision and faith and we are always growing together. Those are some of the benefits of partnership. Hmm. Wow. Powerful, man. Yeah. We talked about the topic of discipleship. That's one of the points you make in your book. You say, for the most part, I believe the Christian experience in Africa uh, had come largely through mass conversions into the Christian religion rather than real biblical discipleship that transformed the whole life. How important is discipleship to you in the process, and how have you encouraged that in the development of converts in Ethiopia? Yeah, discipleship is very key because uh, uh, Jesus, after his... Uh, uh, resurrection and uh, before his ascension, uh, he gave us uh, the Great Commission and the, the core content of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 to 20 is go and make disciples of all nations. Not, uh, it's not going to make converts or uh, it's not just count the number of Christians. It's make disciples. Disciples are people who follow Jesus, who obey his teachings they know him, they love him, they wholeheartedly worship him, and they do what he expects them to do. Discipleship is key. So uh, for me, when I, I was growing up in Ethiopia, you know, we had, we had a very, very strict uh, context for our, our development in Ethiopia. In the church denomination that my wife and I grew up with, unless you went through a 12-month discipleship, 
they didn't even give any ministry. Like if you even want to say, I want to clean the church, they said, no, before you clean the church, go and complete a 12 months discipleship process. They taught us the word of God. They taught us Christian disciplines and, uh, and, and they helped us to develop habits of, of reading the Bible, reflecting on the word of God and internalizing the Bible and applying the Bible into our lives and the prayer life and the fasting life. They instilled those habits in us. So discipleship is key. When you are a disciple of Jesus, when persecution comes, you will stand firm. It's like Jesus told us uh, the parable of the house that was built on the rock and on the sand. So when you are a disciple, you are like a house built up on the rock. When the wind comes and, and, and pressure comes, you stand up for Jesus and you say, if, even if they come to you and say, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you. If you are a disciple, you say, kill me. You will send me to heaven. But if you are not a true disciple, um, you say, no, no, I, I, no, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no with Jesus or, or I'm not, I'm not for Jesus. So discipleship is key. You know, when, this, when Christians are not discipled, they are not committed. They are not committed to the faith that they have. They don't even believe and they don't fully understand the word of God. They are not applying the word of God. That is what makes Christianity weak. You know, uh, when we are not disciples, um, we are just Christians who don't fully follow Christ and obey his commands. Uh, that makes Christianity weak. But Christianity gets strong when we have disciples. So oh, every Christian is not a disciple, but every disciple is a Christian. Every disciple is a Christian. Every Christian is not a disciple. So in Africa, uh, we have over one, over half billion people today in Africa who confess to be Christians. But uh, but but when you uh, when you put them under under pressure, I don't know how many of them will say, "I'm ready to die for Jesus. I'm willing to die for Jesus." What happened in Africa was uh, when when African nations were under uh, European uh, colonization. Uh, most of the, uh, the, the, the Europeans who came to, to colonize Africa were uh, like Christians, okay, the Christians. And when they came, they asked uh, all their tenants to become Christians. So without knowing what Christianity was, who Christ was, what it means to be Christian, people just experienced mass conversion. So... For, for instance, now, if you go to some countries in Africa and see the practices of Christianity, there are people who are Christians, but they are afraid of de demon uh, evil spirits. They are afraid of witch doctors. They uh, are also, um, they also experience like um, traditional African religion. It's because they have not been disciples. So, so we have a major, major role to help Christians uh, to become disciples of Jesus. And that is a common, uh, that's a major fear that I have. Uh, today, we have about 2.5 billion people around the world who call themselves Christians. But how many of us really 
are disciples of Jesus. So my encouragement and my challenge for anyone who hears this, uh, this podcast is, I encourage you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. That is the great commandment that God has called us to obey and then fulfill Jesus's great commission. He called us to go and make disciples of, of, of all nations. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, uh, you will be making other disciples. When you make other disciples, don't stop there. Let those disciples also make disciples. We should experience multiplication of disciples. So uh, teach them to obey is the command Jesus gave us. Teach them to obey. But most of the time, it's like we teach people to know. Knowledge is not enough. Knowledge has to be applied. Knowledge has to be obeyed and practiced. That is the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. Uh, Christians know the teachings of Jesus, but disciples obey the teachings of Jesus. Wow. Last question for you. If someone's listening to this and there may be a passive Christian, maybe a Christian, they grew up in a Christian culture, but they wouldn't say that they have a genuine relationship with God. Where should they start? Yeah, it's, uh, it's very simple and it's very easy. Uh, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Which was lost means every person is created and uniquely designed in God's own image. God mm -hmm. loves every person. But when that person hasn't discovered the intimate relationship with his or her creator, that person is lost from the presence of God. They are not experiencing the joy and the life that God gives. So Jesus is Jesus has come to seek and to save us, to bring us back to God who passionately loves us. So the, the, the easiest way is for any person who is listening to this podcast. And if you think and feel that you have not yet discovered that loving relationship with Jesus, just simply pray like this. Jesus, thank you for coming to this planet to seek and to save me. You love me so much so that you went to the cross to die for my sins, to pay the penalty for my sins. I invite you to come to my life, forgive all my sins, and make me your child. And I'm inviting you to come into my life. And if you simply pray that prayer by faith, Jesus, has promised to come into your life. When he comes into your life by his spirit, he has immediately made you God's child. You have been transformed from, from darkness into light, from death to life. You have been united with God forever and your name has been written in the book of life and the Holy Spirit rejoices in you and you will begin reading the word of God. And when you read the word of God, 
you will have different experience because the Holy Spirit will illuminate the world. You will begin to understand in a way that you have never understood before. And then pray every day and read the word of God. Whatever you read and whatever you learn, pass that on to others, your friends, your families, your relatives, pass on to others. That is how you can become a disciple of Jesus. So I pray that Jesus will draw you into himself through his spirit and that you will become a disciple of Jesus, that you will believe God for greater things in your life. You have one life to live. Live your life for something meaningful, for something wonderful, for something amazing. And you cannot live that life by yourself or alone. It's with Jesus. He will give you meaning and purpose to your life. And you will live the best ever life with Jesus and through his spirit. Man. Thank you for coming on, Bekele. I appreciate this. And for those of you that are watching, I just encourage you to pick up uh, Bekele's book. It's such a fascinating read. A Never Alone from Ethiopian Villager to Global Leader. Powerful, powerful exchange. And so thank you for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much again for giving me this opportunity to share my history and uh, what God has done in my life and through my life. God bless you. Thanks so much. Well, that conversation was, again, uh, oh, man. Incredible. The best, and I, I know it impacted you in a big way as you were sitting there. Yeah, as I mean, that's where it's at, man. He's he's living out kingdom. I thought I thought so many times. This sounds like the Book of Acts. This this uh, even just some of the way that the the church is meeting and praying, and more than just I mean, he he shared with us some of these amazing statistics and these mobilization efforts, the strategy that went into that, um, the prayer that went into that, the partnerships, the unity. Um, Power and unity, humility and relationships. That was something that he pointed out. But then he he comes around to the backside and says, yeah, we had all these mass conversions, but also we have a discipleship problem. So it's like he's he's broad and he's deep and he just seems to have the mind of God for the, the work he's been called to do. He has a, a God-sized vision and uh, it was compelling. We intentionally didn't cover this one topic. Um it's a, because it's such a topic i think that you probably get he probably gets asked all the time and it's the idea of well why isn't god doing this in america yeah what do you say to that well first of all i'm not god but but also i think how spiritual warfare maybe manifests itself is different in different places so some of the things that he described in his growing up years, and even some of the things that he sees now, if those things were to happen in the U.S., I don't think they would induce fear as much as they would induce people to come to the Lord. Like, I think an outward manifestation of, of evil in like a clear way would not leave people to be under the thumb of these evil spirits, but would actually lead them to run to, I think there's enough echo of Christianity in the culture still that it would actually drive people to church, so to speak, yeah. versus in those cultures, some of those things actually keep people under subjection 
There's not a uh, question as to what, you know, when I asked him, have you ever questioned whether there's a spiritual reality at play? Yeah, nothing. He he said, no, No absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. But you asked the average person here in the U.S. And again, if you're approaching this as a skeptic, just think with me for a minute here. If you're not a Christian and you're listening, but and there really is a devil, right? What would his objective be? And if, and if, and if he can get people to go through this entire life, essentially just waste their lives on stuff that, you know, self-pleasure, living for themselves, um, and without ever discovering the God who created them. If he can get people to do that, he's accomplished his mission and you don't need all these incredible acts that McKaylee shared. Yeah. And it's, in our highly, um, the mind is a huge thing, right? So it, knowledge is king, you know, and so we can explain away everything. But the truth is, as we learn more and more about the universe, about some of the intricacies, I, I think there's just so many great questions that call into question this idea that if that we can ex, we can explain everything, and the, and not just. It, science is awesome and it can explain something, but why is it here? Right. Yeah. And I think the Christian message and meta narrative answer these questions and even the existence of evil, you know, why, mm. what, why in this world, if there's, if everything is so good and so great, like, how do we, how do we explain what's happening in Ukraine right now? How do we explain right. not just Ukraine, but other parts of the world that like, it doesn't, doesn't make the news for a variety of reasons where there's just horrible things happening. If you say, oh, that's so cute, you know, yeah, yeah, we used to and do A lot of people picture. have that attitude. Yeah, you, oh, it's Halloween, but like all year for you crazy Christians, right? But I I think his his faith was compelling, and he was just so – I've seen this. I'm just telling – he's like I'm a reporter. I'm just telling you what happened, and uh, that that's what that was so fascinating to me today. Yep, and um, I just – his last six minutes, if you don't know God, I go back and listen to those. Powerful, yeah. powerful stuff. Clear, a clear sharing of the gospel, and yeah. uh, as always, man. If you all have, if you all have questions or comments, um, please feel free to email us, uh, Ezra at the Monday Christian, Dave at the Monday Christian. Uh, we love uh, leave comments. Um, we we love to interact uh, with the audience, and uh, especially talking about life's what we consider to be life's most important questions. Yeah. Until next week, we'll talk to you then. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.